This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time! Oh, no. Oh, yeah! I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah! Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it! It's the best thing going today. This is episode 66 of Top Rope Nation. It's been a newsworthy week in the world of professional wrestling, and we've got a lot to discuss this week. I'm your host, Ryan Drosty, and in a moment, I'll be joined by Kyle Ross and a very special guest who will be along for the ride. So we try to just sort out what we've seen in WWE following Extreme Rules, uh, where we're heading with SummerSlam on the horizon, plus some other topics going on in the world of wrestling. But before I get to my co-host this evening, I do want to say, if you enjoy the show, please take a moment to leave us a five-star review and subscribe on iTunes, as well as on all of your other podcasting platforms. You can check out the entire archive at TopRopeNation.com, of course, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, and even YouTube. So, to get things started, let me throw it out to Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome my longtime co-host. He is the master of trolling Skip Bayless on Twitter. Mr. Kyle Ross in the house. What's going on, Kyle? I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> I was trying to think of like a nickname I could give you. If you remember our early shows, I'd always introduce you with some kind of weird tagline like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, just for some reason it came to my mind, your Skip Bayless tweets. I I can only hope today that I bring the passion that you brought toward Iowa representative. My God, (laughs) he did get a mention. Terrible, terrible member of the Iowa House of Representatives. Yes, that's that's a Facebook reference from what's going on on my Facebook right now. Uh, But thank you for that, Kyle. Thanks for getting his Mm -hmm. name out there. I don't like how he looks, I'll be honest. Hey, well, his policy is is much worse than his looks. I, I can tell Oof. you that. That's for sure. Oh boy, politics <laughs> got hit with the ugly stick, huh? Yeah, for sure. And uh, this next person I want to introduce—he's a fine-looking gentleman. I've got to say, looks a lot better than that representative we were talking about there. He's making his return to Top Rope Nation. He is the author of the award-winning book "Crazy Like a Fox: The Definitive Chronicle of Brian Pillman." Twenty years later, all the way across the pond in the UK, Mr. Liam O'Rourke. Welcome back to Top Rope Nation. What's going on? Oh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to be here and, and kind of along the same lines as uh, Kyle's. I don't like the way he looks. Are we going to talk about Hulk Hogan now or later? <laughs> we are definitely, oh, definitely yeah, there talking we go. about that, Hulk Hogan. I thought I, I was going to make that segue. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great start. I think we've probably hooked all of our listeners by now. <laughs> Obscure mm-hmm. politics to Hulk Hogan. What a segue. I love it. Um but I, w- I wanted to say, Liam, you joined us back in March, and uh, we did think it would be a good time to have you on the show again. 
not just because of your unquestionably great mind for the world of wrestling, which all of you know if you've read his book on Brian Pillman, but because there's been a lot of talk in the wrestling media lately about that book, um, mostly universal praise, as it should be, but there's been some unwarranted and uninformed criticism from someone who hasn't even read your book. So Kyle addressed that, I thought, pretty well on our show uh, after Extreme Rules this past Sunday night. Uh, I did want to give you a chance. I don't. I don't want you, you know, drag you down in the mud too much on this subject. But did you have anything at all you wanted to add about what was said about your book on the eighty-three weeks podcast? Oh, tons. You know, the thing, the thing with like, uh, yeah, I don't think that it will be able to top Kyle's fantastic kind of uh, diatribe last week. That kind of. You know, when the whole thing went down, obviously, and I, and I heard it for myself, the, the first thing that kind of went through my head was pretty much everything Kyle said in terms of kind of tackling this head on. And, you know, I mean, because I think you can kind of look at it two ways. And, and it's kind of the way that I've been kind of going back and forth on this for the last week or so now is like if you actually take what Bischoff said on that show with any degree of like credibility, if you actually look at it like it's an actual debate, I think that you come to the conclusion that Kyle did. And I'm very glad that he did because. You know, uh, you mentioned they're not trying to kind of bring me down into the mud too much. And really kind of my approach to dealing with it is just kind of sit back and see what everybody else says, because they're probably going to make the judgment for me. And uh, and as, as it turned out, they did. And, and thank you very much for that. But uh, and if you have to kind of take it with any kind of credibility, like I said, I don't think there's a whole lot there because uh, it is what it is. What can I say? He starts the podcast off talking about how he's not read the book. He wasn't that close to Brian. He can't remember what year the loose cannon was um you know so on and so forth but you know it's it's funny because i think that it irked enough people with how ignorant it was and how kind of misinformed it was and misguided it was that i've had enough people kind of come to me and kind of point things out about bischoff and, and his kind of current mo and the mo of his previous podcast that are kind of very very interesting and then it may end up with me kind of telling you guys something off the air not that i want to be that kind of wrestling reporter type guy uh, to tease a scoop or anything like that but there is a reason why eric bischoff is doing the things he's doing and uh it's 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 much more than what it is at face value and it's it's kind of uh kind of desperate i'll leave it at that for now oh i love it by the way was he drunk or high or both on that table for three? Oh, man <laughs> man i don't want to insinuate anything because it's just gonna come off a personal attack but it's just it's, you know all right yeah it's okay i don't want to get you in trouble yeah. <laughs> i i did have one more thought so you know i I made that in passing joke, you know, 83 weeks, I scoffed the name and I said, 35 years, give me Vince McMahon, how's your territory <laughs> last week on the post show? And, you know, I thought about something because I've been watching a lot of WCW recently. And you know what, like the big difference between Vince and Bischoff is, or, or I think what a great, like a great exhibit A to explain the difference between those two is so you don't like how Hogan, who we're, again we're going to talk about here in a little bit, will always like tell these tall tales about WrestleMania three. Like, oh god, man, I got in there, and the six hundred and fifty pound Andre. Just, <laughs> I was just hoping he wasn't going to shoot on me, brother. And like, we all yeah. roll our eyes. We're like, come on. And then like, they'll even kick it to Vince for his comments on WrestleMania three, and he's like, kind of rolling his eyes at the notion, like, yeah, like biggest show of the year. Like, I'm going to let somebody go into business for themselves. Okay. Yeah. Well, Bischoff, his biggest show of all time, Starcade 97, not only did he allow Hulk Hogan to go into business for himself against Sting, he encouraged it, apparently, by his own words. And there's the <laughs> difference between Vince and Eric Bischoff, why one guy is running, you know, a promotion that just, you know, is making billions of dollars right now, stock prices through the roof, 
And another guy is doing a podcast where he can't remember, you know, what day of the week it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think those 83 weeks not may have kind of come to a it. screeching halt shortly after that, if I remember. Yeah. yeah. Not not that there's anything wrong with that, by the way. You know, we, most podcasts, including this one, have a guy who doesn't know what day of the week it is most of the time. <laughs> Are you talking about me, Kyle? No, not at all. <laughs> no, I think uh, what's interesting about Bischoff's comments. So... I don't know if it's a mixture of his memory just kind of being kind of faulty because if if you have seen him on the WWE Network and they ask him about historical events, he usually just can't remember what was going on at the time. He's just, you know, he just doesn't remember very clearly 20 years ago. Um, And I didn't know if, if, if his comments on Liam's book were more just because he doesn't remember clearly or because he just gets heated thinking about how, uh, Pillman just kind of pulled the wool's o- the wool over his eyes, you know. Like Pillman was working him, like he was working everyone else, b- but he was making Bischoff think, you know, he was in on everything. But Pillman was like a level above him. What's your sense there, Liam? Do you think it's it's anger at the fact that he doesn't want people to know Pillman like got the better of him in that situation, or do you think it's memory, little of both? I think it's a little of both, and at the same time, I think it's neither. I think that he's. I think that when you listen to his show and it comes time to talk about something that somebody else has written about him that might not paint him in the best light, all of a sudden context is king and he comes out with some fantastic story that only he could have experienced that involves other people doing things that are out of his hands and he usually comes out smelling of roses, funnily enough. Um, when it comes time for him to lay the story and actually kind of tell tell you know the, the details of what happened on something that hasn't been written about him, all of a sudden context is king becomes I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And, and and there you go. And, and like I said, at the same time, I think it's neither. I, I think if you hooked Eric Bischoff up to a lie detector test, I don't think he really genuinely feels that passionate one way or the other about Dave Meltzer, about Bret Hart's book, Chris Jericho's book, my book. I think it's just a gimmick. I think yeah. that there's, a, that there's a means to an end on why he's doing what he's doing. And like I said, I've, I've, I've been... Uh, told that this story is going to come out pretty soon in elite places and uh, not talk about kenny omega's show but uh i think this story is probably going to come out before too long on why he's doing what he's doing it's very interesting very interesting teaser there no i think i think the stuff about his memory really came to light to me i can't remember what the show was i think we talked about it here on the podcast when it happened but he he was addressing like montreal and everything that happened with brett hart coming into wcw and they're asking him very direct questions about why brett wasn't booked better and the circumstances behind his arrival in wcw and they were like very basic questions and he he essentially said he had no memory or couldn't remember and it's like how, how can you not remember that was one of the biggest stories of all time like at the height of the wrestling war so I don't and for know. the record, I don't have an issue if the guy doesn't remember. Like I'm not like Well that's you know, what yeah, that's what I was trying to you get know, at. I mean, like if he, he truly was, doesn't remember, you can't really blame him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make for a great podcast if a guy doesn't remember, <laughs> but at the same time, if you don't look, you were busy. You, you don't have to remember these things. You know, you're living doing it in real time. It was a stressful gig. I get it. So if you just don't remember, you don't remember. But to spin narratives then to cover up, not just, not necessarily to cover up you, your faulty memory, but to, just for the sake of spinning narratives, I think, really like, you know, gimmicks got a gimmick, basically, yeah. like Liam said. Well, that's silliness. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, he's trying to get, he's trying to get a podcast off the ground. He's trying to get some listens and, you know, he decided to attack a book that is probably the only book honest enough to kill Eric Bischoff's blue chew boner. 
<laughs> oh man yeah i i don't get it i don't know how he come out and and do so viciously attack a book that you haven't read it just makes <laughs> makes no sense at all like imagine I a food it. critic who's like let me tell you why this restaurant that i've never ate at just sucks ass like what, what that doesn't make sense at all so no i thought i thought it was odd we've had you on the show before and we we talked about your book at length on that show. It's one of our better episodes, so you guys can check that out in the archives. It was back, I think, towards the end of March of this year. So Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, highly recommend Liam's book. Um, you can read it. And I think one of the, the great things about the comments that came out this week, Liam, were that a lot of the people I saw on Twitter saying, well, this actually really made me want to read the book. So Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's a great byproduct that. for you of everything that happened on that 83 Weeks podcast. So. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate it. And again, I know that you guys have, have done a great job of kind of mentioning it in the last few weeks, but I'll do the same. If you, if you, if you want to know what actually is, is the story, get the book. Simple as that. Yeah. If, you, if you want about Brian Pillman, that's, that's where you go. There you go. So highly recommended reading. It's a, it's a read that will you will not be able to put it down. You'll read it in a matter of days like I did, like Kyle did. So check it out. So... We wanted to move on to WWE this week, and uh, everyone's kind of talking about the Raw and SmackDown following extreme rules, as they should be. Uh, all I can say here about Raw, guys, is square peg, meet round hole, because we are headed for Bobby Lashley versus oh, Roman I thought, Reigns next Monday. I thought this Monday. was more talk. No way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would work, though. That, that description okay. would certainly work. Um okay. No, we're headed for Bobby Lashley versus Roman Reigns next Monday on Raw again, uh, this time to determine Brock Lesnar's next challenger. And there, I just feel like this, there's so many problems with this direction because it kind of renders their match at Extreme Rules just completely useless. Um, I think the prevailing wisdom here is Reigns will win or possibly we get a triple threat at SummerSlam. Uh, but I was just, I don't know, when I watched that opening segment and they announced the two... Oh, dear God, don't do a triple threat, please, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not usually a, a big fan of triple threat matches either, I gotta say. But, uh, I don't know, maybe that's a way they feel like they can save save the match. Because there's no way Reigns-Lesnar is gonna go over well in New York. They cannot possibly think that's gonna go over well, right? There's no saving this match. <laughs> Lash, Lashley's not saving this 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 thing. Yeah. He's really not. Like I, I, the thing is, now it's become such a parody of itself that even if they stuck, they could stick anyone in there, and they're gonna find a way because it's Reigns, because it's Lesnar, it, it's because it's it's the expectation of what's gonna happen now. It's like it, you know, people thought long and hard that you know, okay, Reigns Lesnar at WrestleMania, people thought the same thing. It's probably gonna be a disaster, and because they think that going in, it kind of you know, it, you know, it becomes a reality, and that's that's I think what's gonna happen here. Lashley's not the guy who's going to save this thing. And I like Lashley, but I don't think he's the guy that's going to save this. Yeah. No, I think the the best challenger, I've said on the podcast a lot, I think Rollins would have been the best challenger for, for Lesnar. I think the fans would have been super into that. He's one of the top baby faces in the company. Uh, I think uh, a Rollins title win would really get people amped up. And I just don't think they want to do it because... Well, they've been set on the story of Brock and Reigns, and we talked about it on the show months ago. They probably should have just finally pulled the trigger at WrestleMania and got it out of the way, yep. but they continue to drag it on. It drags down Roman Reigns, and uh, I don't know. It's just Reigns, part of the problem with him is obviously the booking and the fact of when he was first pushed uh, you know, against Daniel Bryan in, in his heyday, and then ever since then, everyone views it as forced. 
You know, I was at one time not the biggest Roman Reigns fan. Justin and Kyle kind of converted me to where I, I kind of like the guy now, mostly because I think a lot of the criticism he gets is very unwarranted and it makes me like the guy even more. But even I, on Monday night, knew right away where this story was headed with the two triple threat matches. And okay, we're getting Reigns Lashley again for sure. That's how it shook out. And it's like, not again. <laughs> just this is just it's it's they're just nailing this up against the wall over and over again, and it's not gonna stick. Nobody cares. So I don't know. Kyle, what did you think Monday night? Okay. This is, I think, one of those instances of how we evaluate wrestling in the present day, how we can't do it based on 1998 standards. We need to understand what wrestling is in 2018. And this whole situation with the match at Extreme Rules now kind of being an afterthought, and maybe we should have been included into that when they took a match that was originally supposed to close that pay-per-view and moved it in the middle of the show. You have that, these two triple threats, and now Reigns Lashley Part 2 coming. The whole thing is just a byproduct of a lot of TV time. That's why this sort of less than stellar storytelling is taking place. They just have a lot of hours to fill. And so they made a match that you thought was kind of important at Extreme Rules. Well, I mean, it still was kind of important. I mean, Lashley beating Roman Reigns, I guess, is a big deal. But because it wasn't framed as a number one contender situation, it didn't close the show, it's sort of you know, its impact was kind of minimized and the impact was further minimized when they decided, well, okay, those two guys are going to be in separate triple threat matches on raw. The problem with doing that is, and I think you weren't the only one, Ryan, who kind of, you know, had the same feeling, emotion, whatever about this is when you open it up to other guys like that, you know, the, the number one contender situation, you're only feeding your audience who already has a desire to see someone else and making that desire stronger. Yeah. Like, if you wanted it to be Bobby Lashley, and I don't think it's not going to be Bobby Lashley, it's going to be Roman Reigns. Because if it if they wanted it to be Bobby Lashley, then they should have just had the Extreme Rules match be for the contendership. And, you know, he beats Roman Reigns and he's the contender. I mean, it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot of TV time to fill, but... It's just as simple as that. Um, with Reigns doing it, I guess you can set up a rubber match down the line for the title, it, it, presuming Reigns wins on Monday. But, you know, that's why it goes back to why we thought it was a dumb idea to do a five-way at Extreme Rules when they initially announced that, because anyone outside of Reigns and Lashley, no one really, okay, maybe people like Seth Rollins a lot and want him, but I don't think people would have bought him winning necessarily in that scenario. So they didn't do it. And I complimented them for not doing it, for just going ahead and doing the Reigns Lashley one-on-one match. But then they open it back up and the audience is like, Oh man, I kind of would rather, okay, well, Lashley beat Reigns, but now it's for the contendership and everyone's in it. I kind of want this guy. And that is kind of a problem too, because you just basically wasted everyone's week to get back to a match. They just saw the previous day that apparently meant nothing. (laughs) And now we get this match where most people are going to assume Roman Reigns is going to win and thereby 
you know, we get a match that no one wants to see. Yeah. Roman Reigns and Bobby uh, and Brock Lesnar. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a single person who's enthused about that match. And that's sad because yeah. it's supposed to be this big thing, but nobody cares anymore. They, it's like the Band-Aid philosophy, right? What do they always tell you with the Band-Aid? Just rip, that motherfucker, up, yep. <laughs> just rip that motherfucker off, man. And they're not ripping that motherfucker off. You know, they're we... like, they're just peeling <laughs> corner by corner. And Vince is like, okay, when we get to that fourth corner, you know, the audience is going to finally be behind this Band-Aid coming off. And no, they're not. <laughs> the idea, like, not only is the crowd in Brooklyn, and again, I could be wrong. Okay, the WrestleMania thing kind of caught me off guard. Maybe that's shame on me. But not only is the Brooklyn crowd not going to be more amenable to a Reigns title change than New Orleans was, there's a very good chance they will be less amenable. Oh, yeah. And if they do do a triple threat, which is kind of eye-rolling too, the only thing that Bobby Lashley would add is a you-both-suck chant from the crowd would no longer apply because there'd be three guys. I don't know. We'd probably get some new annoying chants. No, yeah. I think adding Lashley might be their idea of, of like, the match won't completely just be uncared about by the crowd. Like, there might be the small belief that Lashley has a chance, or at least he's someone fresh against Lesnar, and they think he can save it with the crowd. I, I don't think it'll make a huge difference, but because everyone will probably still be thinking Reigns is going to win anyways. But... To throw it to Liam here, like we talked about with Reigns and how he's just been buried by the booking committee by the situations he's been put he's been put in that really haven't helped him out with the crowd. Doesn't this booking harm Bobby Lashley too? Because it really just renders his win over Reigns completely meaningless at Extreme Rules. If they go back to have Reigns win next Monday night, like what's the point? What do you think, Liam? Uh, it depends. You know, I think it, you know, I think a lot of times wrestling fans it's a very easy criticism to kind of level at wwe to kind of that they sometimes like book in the moment or book very kind of short-sightedly and i think as wrestling fans we're kind of guilty sometimes of doing the same thing like kind of judging things in its isolated incident and and you know i, I think back to like you know it to me it's all about what's next you know if, if, if the follow-up for lashley is strong you'll be okay it's like you know when Strowman was being built up like a year and a half ago or whatever and they had roman beat him right before wrestlemania and everyone was like oh why would you beat Strowman now and as it turns out it didn't really hurt him all that much it, it, you know, the follow-up was strong they kept pushing him they kept building him and and, and yeah, they, they kept the level head and they did it to me with lashley it's all in the follow-up it's more indicative to me of you know it, they're gonna do this it's like you guys have and i'm so glad that you guys have touched on this for the last few weeks but Roman Reigns as your potentially worst booked top guy in the history of the company just did another job on pay-per-view one month before he's going to challenge and supposedly beat Brock Lesnar. Like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, how, how you know, let's let's take the uh, kind of the the diehard WWE fan who hates Roman element out of this and just pretend that there's a, a casual fan audience that actually we're going to try and get Roman over to. It's like they're, they're seeing that too. It's like I, I don't think that you know I can't think of another top guy that's been treated this way rock was the only one who did as many jobs but even like rock was able to kind of you know rock was able to kind of recover with you know he's just natural charisma and he could just kind of win all that goodwill back after he loses to the boss man on television by doing one great promo but roman doesn't have that and and because he doesn't have that it really exposes him massively as a guy they just don't think is fit for the role even more so than he already maybe in reality yeah and rock wasn't fighting the audience either i mean for rock no. it was just easy the rock you know he had a audience that wanted to cheer him anyway. So it was much easier for him uh, to get away with doing jobs. Yeah. 
This is just this is just compounding the problem. Yeah. Would they have been better off just going since this Roman Brock thing has been beaten to death? Would they have been better off going with Lashley beating Reigns, Lashley versus Brock, Lashley beats Rock, and then Roman chases Lashley. And if he beats Lashley, then he essentially conquers both of them, rather than going head-to-head with Brock again in in the match that nobody wants to see. See, that's tough because you do have to have Roman beat Brock Lesnar at this point. I think as much as no one really wants to see it. (laughs) It's why they should have done it months ago. Yes, that's the problem. You're in a situation where you have to do something, but no one really wants to see it anymore. It will just come across as so anticlimactic. And it's not the – I mean, it never was going to be the crowning babyface achievement they wanted it to be, ever. I don't think there's ever a time – I take that back. If you go back two and a half years ago to the WrestleMania in Cowboy Stadium, Mm -hmm. I always thought had they kept the title on Roman – when he won it from Sheamus, if you remember, and, and he had the crowd behind him in Philadelphia. I was going Bill Matz, by the way. Oh, yeah, uh, there you go. Good reference. And not had him like do that dumb thing where he put it up in the Rumble and Triple H got it. Mm-hmm. And they just kept the title on Roman and had Brock Lesnar, who, I, if I'm getting my title, yeah, who had never been pinned for the title be his challenger, like Brock could have just won a standard, quote-unquote standard Royal Rumble where it's for the number one contendership, and Roman beats Brock there, I think that would have worked a lot better than this delayed coronation. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really great point because the fact that he did get cheered in Philadelphia, which is where he famously got booed with the Rock in the ring with him, and they had flipped on him. That was maybe the one point where they really could have got it rolling behind Roman. I, I agree with that. That's a good take. Yeah, but 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 they totally cut his knees off with Triple H, who then of course did nothing to help Roman Reigns get over a baby face because he baby faced himself the entire <laughs> way up to the match. God bless you, Triple H. But I mean, he did. I mean, he would come out, kick his ass, and do suck it, and the crowd yeah. would cheer for him. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> so. So I and the I, thing is too, that would have worked so perfectly because Brock they had nothing for Brock that year anyway. He was pissing around with the Wyatt family for a couple of months when they decided that was going to be horrible. They stuck him in that feud with Ambrose that went nowhere. That, that's what made me kind of think of it is that Brock was very miserable. That Ambrose feud did no favors for anybody. No, it certainly did no few favors for Ambrose, mm, and it did no. nothing for Brock. Like Brock beating Ambrose literally did not change one iota of perception about Brock because there wasn't entertaining. It didn't make you like Brock Lesnar anymore. It was just a bad match, a bad feud. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, and I think the split crowd dynamic, which they would have probably had still in Texas, let's not sh- kid ourselves, it would have been fine because I think people still weren't as fatigued with the Brock Lesnar character in 2016 as they are now. I mean, now you hear it. They talk about, we're going to strip Brock Lesnar. The crowd pops. <laughs> they don't even want to see him. They don't even want to see him wrestle. So, like, they don't even care about a title defense at this point. That which, was bad, bad news when that we got that reaction. Yeah. Which brings me to my next point. Are we sure Brock Lesnar's losing the title at SummerSlam? I'm not at all. <laughs> no. I, I'm convinced he's going to win. Yeah. I, I think and the the kind of, well, what's the, the elephant in the room, you know, is Braun Strowman, too. Which, you talk about bad booking of alleged top babyface Roman Reigns. If they have Braun, like, usurp him, and he leaves SummerSlam with the title, that's like, I mean, what do you do with Roman <laughs> Reigns at that point? 
Yeah, no, that's like what we got into back at Money in the Bank when we talked about how Braun really doesn't need that gimmick. And if they were just going to do Braun Lesnar and build to that as a straight match, that would be so much bigger than what they're doing right now. Yeah, look, I like Roman Reigns. I'm like, Liam, I like Bobby Lashley, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, th- I I liked... I was looking forward to Roman Lashley a lot because it was a fresh matchup. And, and quite frankly, I like the idea of Lashley-Lesnar, too. Again, fresh matchup. He's a, you know, we talk about seeing these same matchups all the time. Say what you will about Bobby Lashley. He's new. Or, you know, he hasn't been around for 10 years, so he's new. It The match with Roman felt fresh. I think, you know, you could do the whole MMA thing with him and Lesnar. That feels fresh. It's good. But... We said this on the program months ago, and not to feed into this, but the best story Raw could have told kind of after we got over the debacle that was WrestleMania and then the greatest Royal Rumble ever where Roman didn't win again, the best story Raw could have told at that point was because you could see Seth heating up, is get him into that challenger's role for Brock and Roman costs Seth the match, whether it's him as like the money in the bank guy. I think that would have been an interesting way to bring it all around from mm-hmm. WrestleMania 31. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Roman gets the title that way and does the quote unquote full on heel turn. Although I don't think you change his character in any way, because then you're going to, the audience will be like, want to cheer him. Cause you basically did what they wanted you to do with him. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I- I just I look at the lay of the land and uh, yeah the fact that they've announced that Lesnar's going to be there the next day on Raw is uh, after SummerSlam is kind of curious. It's just that, that to me from a functional perspective that almost reads to me like Lesnar's going to win and then he's going to come out the next day and brag about the fact that he's going to UFC as the champion and Braun is going to cash in and win it and then Roman if he does have a a heel turn in him which you know gone is if they're going to do it it will be on Braun. Yeah, hmm. I could I could see that. This is all a lot more interesting than I thought it was 20 minutes ago, by the way. <laughs> I, I just think that the issue is that – and look, we went off last week on Extreme Rules, Ryan, on the post show about these fan reactions and stuff. And you can't chase the pop with these people. You can't. But there still is the issue. And, and you know, you read the Twitter feed. It's not just these – typical anti-Roman smarks I'm talking about. Even the defenders of Roman are just like, you know, I'm not looking forward to this anymore. The the same people who were like, all right, fine, at, going into Mania, we're like, Roman's finally going to beat Brock. We're going to get this out of the way. You know, we can build Raw around Roman as champion fully and move forward. That crowd is just as fatigued as anybody now. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't think we can take any Brock loss for granted at this point, because especially because it made a lot of sense having him. I mean, I guess you're you're, you're taking a risk if he goes into the Cormier fight as WWE as the Universal Champion loses. You're taking a risk there, but we talked about the long game for Vince. How what a thing it would be yep. is if Lesnar is the Universal Champion wins that fight, and then you've got Lesnar under contract for one more match, and you can beat him when he's holding the UFC title. Yeah, I see it more that direction. I, I've seen arguments on both sides of this, and I feel like you know the people that say, well, he could be WWE champion, get his ass kicked. I don't really think 
that really matters that much. <laughs> you know, because the the possible gain of Brock being heavyweight champ, UFC heavyweight champion, universal champion is just so gigantic that I can totally see Vince just wanting to roll the dice and see if it happens. I know Brock's going to be the underdog, but uh, you know, it could happen. <laughs> you never know. So yeah, that's. I'm also not certain he's going to lose the title just because every time we've got to a point where we think Brock's for sure losing, he doesn't lose. So I, I can't believe entirely he's going to lose it. And there's the chance of getting Daniel Cormier on WWE TV in the build yes. of the fight and getting those eyeballs. I think, I think it's a trade-off Vince is willing to play. Yeah, I could be completely wrong though. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to get at. I think that's Vince McMahon likes to take risks, and that could be a risk worth taking. You see any possibility that happens, Liam? Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about kind of the Vince mentality and just kind of looking for that moment of Lesnar and Cormier doing a pull apart over the barricade on Raw or something like that. And I, there's just a nagging part of me that thinks, you know, they didn't even mention it on Raw when they did that thing in the cage at UFC. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is, you know, it's like that, that to me, to me sounds interesting as hell, but I just don't know if Vince's mentality, especially with the current lay of the land where they came out trumps on the TV deal over UFC and they're going to kind of, again, the the perception game, they're feeling like the hotter product, at least when it comes to the television industry. I just don't know that they're going to really want to help them that much. Yeah, it's a good counterpoint. It it is true, yeah. I mean, I think an objective person might look at it as, you know, helping each other, but... At the yeah. same time, if you're objectively thinking about when has Vince McMahon ever done that? Yeah, exactly. It's all very kind of one one you know, one way traffic with Vince on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, he, he did, you know, have that glorious working relationship with both Smoky Mountain and USWA in 1993, but <laughs> you know, he didn't really <laughs> in that underground like relationship his... with ECW. Let's not forget. Yeah, but his but his guys never were allowed to look worse on a national basis. I mean, Lawler. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of guys that went down to USWA in the summer of 93 and would lose to Lawler, including Brett. But, um, you know, that was not seen by the WWE audience. Yeah, that's true. Well, maybe it's more intriguing than we're uh, <laughs> giving it credit for because there's all these spinoff po- possibilities that could happen depending on how this all shakes out. But SummerSlam's going to be difficult. The long game could end up being pretty pretty good, pretty interesting. Maybe we'll turn around in six months and Kyle can give his patented Vince McMahon has done it again quote. <laughs> yeah. I think the only thing we're assured of is it's probably going to be a negative reaction for the main event in Brooklyn, oh, no matter yeah. what they do. Um the crowd is going to be annoying and perhaps justifiably so. And I don't know, but, but other than that, I don't know. Brock could be the champion when all said and done, or like Liam said, he could lose it the next night on raw at the cash in. I don't know. There, there, there are a lot of guys and, and I don't know. And there's three different guys we've mentioned that could potentially, you know, besides Brock, that could be the universal champion uh, 24 hours later. Yeah, and I just think that the the even though it was originally kind of speculated, the worst to me, the worst case scenario is Roman wins and Strowman cashes in immediately on Roman because then you just completely eliminate yes, the awful. entire thing. That that sounds like a, such a horrible plan. But like, and if you do that, you you have to turn Roman heel. There's no other way. 
yeah. around yes. it. That, that, that cuts his nuts off the good. If you do <laughs> well, that. could, that's if, that's if, the if, final testicle right there. Yeah, I mean, that's a complete <laughs> evisceration of yes. your baby face. And it's also a minimization of Brock losing. Yeah, which is what was the book? So I've been waiting all these years for, for this big climactic moment. If you're just gonna, you know, kind of hand job it away moments later. Yeah. Well, I I agree. I I can see him doing the cash in just to try to send people home happy. But man, that would be another disservice to Roman Reigns. Just really, really bad stuff. So. We will see Monday night. We'll have a lot more answers when we see how that match shakes out. Um, I did want to look at the rest of the SummerSlam card. Just kind does of. Does anyone? Oh, just one thing. I just yeah. want. Just does anyone think Lashley is going to be the champion two days after SummerSlam? I think that's the least likely of the no. four. Yeah, guys, I, I, that's I, I, the I, least likely. I believe. Yeah, I do too. I, I, as much as kind of the idea of the build-up between Lashley and Lesnar interests me, I really just you know how I mean how ridiculous is this that you have to think with this mindset, but. The fact that he beat Roman convinces me that he's not going to be anywhere near the the, the top line next <laughs> SummerSlam. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because I had read that one of the reasons they brought, or one of the big reasons they brought Lashley back, was because they wanted to do the match with Brock with the MMA mm-hmm. tie and everything. So <laughs> since he beat Roman and they're, and they're not probably going to do it, it's just kind of counterproductive. I don't know, just to go back to Reigns and Lesnar yet again. Um, the other. The other matches, some of them are either heavily being implied or you can kind of see where they're going. I just kind of jotted down a list here where I think the SummerSlam card stands. Um, Well, the rumor is AJ and Samoa Joe. Uh, We talked about the Lashley-Roman-Brock situation. Uh, It looks like from SmackDown, Brian and The Miz, we're we're probably going to get that. Uh, Maybe a triple threat with Orton, Hardy, and Nakamura. Um, If they do that then I would say the odds of a triple threat in the Universal title are very much diminished. Uh, Rousey and Bliss, Carmella, Becky Lynch, uh, maybe like Ziggler and Balor, perhaps, Rollins and McIntyre, and there's this rumor out there that Cena and Taker could wrestle. You guys have any others to add to that list? God, that last one can't happen. (laughs) Yeah, that was the last... The last, the last rumor on the Undertaker at uh, SummerSlam—that's what I had heard. But I haven't seen it in a while. An interesting thing is, if Lashley is not in the Universal Title match at SummerSlam, what do you do with him? That was another question I had as we we're going on that discussion. Is yeah, where do you put him? I don't know. Like the yeah. only other guy he could work with is like Braun. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know if that match makes sense. Other than it's just like two big hosses that like to fight and are both at the main event level on the brand. I mean, there's, I, I mean, I guess you could always find some sort of storyline, but, um, I mean, there's always Owens, I suppose. Yeah. You know, he's a guy who, you know, could take some time off in my yeah. opinion. Like, you know, I, I like Randy Orton, like I was, as I was watching him beat down Jeff Hardy, on SmackDown this week, I couldn't help but think it wasn't a ton of time off he took, but even just that little bit, it just freshens guys up, man. There is nothing wrong with giving these guys six weeks, eight weeks off to heal up some injuries and come back fresher. I think that helps. So, and I think it would definitely help Kevin Owens. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think that Kevin's Kevin's been doing the same thing for so long now in the same role with the same look, the same yeah. You know, and I like him a great deal, but he's he's kind of exhausted 
pretty much all of his options at this point, and it mm-hmm. feels like his momentum is is not what it once was. And and th- this is the, the the time now when you start to think, you know what? Maybe just kind of get him away from the scene for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that element of surprise that's missing so much in the wrestling industry these days. You know, like back in the day, you had the jumps between WWE and WCW. Um, I guess WWE has done this a little bit with the brand split when people go back and forth. But when you take a guy off television, they come back unexpectedly. It's pretty rare in wrestling these days when you get surprised. When someone comes back, it's usually kept under... uh, It usually leaks out, I should say. But when they keep it under wraps, it's always a cool moment. And I agree, it's just... It brings back that element of surprise, makes it more interesting, freshens up guys. And Orton definitely benefited because he was super stale, too. And Orton's way better as a heel. Do we all agree? Oh, God, yes. yeah. Way, yeah, I mean, way better. I, I, well, I think he would agree, too. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those deals where he just naturally comes across as a heel. Uh, he prefers to be a heel. That He said that in interviews. The issue is, you know, aside, this podcast aside, people like him. People like cheering for him. <laughs> you mean the podcast yeah. that has done the show titled The People versus Randy Orton? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> another guy who could be coming back is Dean. I could almost see, do they do like Seth and Dean against Drew and Dolph in a tag match or something like that? Yeah, that feels right. Yeah, I can and kind maybe, of see that coming. And maybe Dean even could turn up. I, I don't know. Um, Damn, man. You, I don't know. You, yeah, don't you, they, you got to put the IC title up, though, on the second biggest show of the year, don't you think? Do you? See, I actually would argue against it because there's so many freaking title matches that, you know, we've criticized it before. In this New Japan, this criticism is valid, too. You know, you get these cards where there's like eight title matches. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, a title match just doesn't have the importance that it certainly once did. And, and, you know, even as of a couple years ago, maybe. That's the issue with the brand split. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, I mean, and this is kind of going to segue into another match that we kind of talked about as a a potential SummerSlam is that don't you think that when these guys go away, they usually come back with a bit of a purpose too? they usually bring them back for an angle, which is which is which which benefits them so much more, because one of the things that this company is has been atrocious at for the last three years now is bringing guys up or bringing, you know, bring guys up from NXT or bringing guys in. And for the first three months, even switching brands, for the first three months, they do nothing with them. Like, you know, before Corbin got the, the constable job, he was, you know, farting around with No Way Jose. And, you know, okay, you know, oh, you know, Andrade Cien Almas has been doing nothing. His eyes cold. They stick him in with AJ this week. And now we're in the situation where Joe, who has also done nothing since he's moved to SmackDown, is probably the best candidate to work with AJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even, uh, he's, even he doesn't seem that inspired. No, um, you know, he's been away from TV, but like he hasn't really done it. Like they're building this up like, you know, Samoa Joe, I've been wanting this and demanding this for a while now. And it's like, has he? Yeah, we haven't <laughs> seen that. Yeah, no, and it's yeah. like, it's like, OK, he came back. He kicked Ty Dillinger's ass. Everybody does that. Yeah. Uh, and before that, OK, before he had kind of disappeared from TV he did have a clean win over Daniel Bryan on TV. That was good. And then they went to that gauntlet and they did that great finish. Remember that? No one talks about this anymore. I love the finish they did with Bryan and Joe. Oh, yes, the brilliant. And in retrospect, why the hell didn't they do Bryan versus Joe at Extreme Rules instead of his silly bludgeon brothers nonsense that 
did nothing for no one. Yeah. You know, and like Joe could have beat Brian with help from Miz, and there's your two mat. There's yeah. your two matches. Joe's a contender now because he beat Brian on a pay-per-view. Miz cost Brian. There's your garage. Yeah. That that fits together far better. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't argue with you. Yeah, it seems like these are good matches, but the, the build to them or how they've got to them is, is kind of disjointed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, even the, you think about Brian and Miz. Okay, it's a match that we all wanted, but it seems that both guys are a lot cooler now than they were in April. Oh my god, are they ever! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing when Miss is doing that pro, and he's doing. I thought he was doing a good job too, talking about how yeah, the, his, his comeback's been a burst, his career is going downhill, and it's like, you know, when when Brian hits the ring and they stand up, they're doing their thing. I'm just thinking to myself, man, you know, if they'd have just done this when they moved over, they would have. This would have been hard. This would have felt really like this great energy that people have this need to see Brian beat up Miz, and it doesn't really feel like that need's really there anymore. No, yeah, they, I mean, they got to do something to ignite it a little bit, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, the crowd responded pretty strong still when Brian, you know, did the knee to the, you know, oh, yeah. the, lo- the local indie talent that they had there doing the, uh, uh, whatever, the the guy who was just like the bodyguard for Miz for that segment. But, um, yeah, it just, it doesn't feel quite as hot as it was. I mean, people were fiending for this when Miz was forced to come over in the Superstar shakeup, And you know what it is? It's because what they've done with Brian so far, the two programs have not really accomplished, I think, what they wanted. Um, and both, to be fair, were out of WWE's hands. You had Big Cass is, you know, big ass, you know, basically, <laughs> and shot his <laughs> career in the foot. Okay. And then, the you know, something that, you know, came out after we actually recorded our post show for the, for those of you who listen to that is Kane was injured going into extreme rules. And so you really couldn't do what you wanted, even if they were going to lose anyway with team hell. No, it was just kind of anticlimactic because mm-hmm. Kane couldn't do anything. So I think that the fact that that program was kind of a bust, you know, Brian got good matches out of big cast. I was personally emotionally invested in both of them. But because that really didn't go anywhere, um, and, you know, the guys out of the promotion, um, I think that only feeds the idea that, well, they probably should have just gone straight to Brian and Miz first. Because the, what they did with Brian hasn't really meant a hill of beans, quite frankly. No. No, and then and and the Bludgeon Brothers are continuing their record. Unfortunately, as a team, that anybody that works with them comes out cooler on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you <laughs> know. True. So, so I brought. I don't know if you guys saw this. There was, uh, you know, a live report, multiple live reports. Obviously, people who were there uh, at SmackDown last Tuesday said the dark match was Usos in the bar, and it was like really good. And I forgot who it was that tweeted this, but they were spot on when they said, you know. You talk about two of the big losing acts from the superstar shakeup. I mean, the Usos and the Bar are yeah. like two of the great teams in this promotion's history, he, not I'm just pretty, present day. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you called history. the Bar the greatest tag team of all time on this program. You called the Usos that, yeah. But someone the, called the bar. the bar. Was that Justin? Someone, uh, someone once I thought said on this show. Yeah. That, so I, 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 I peed in Justin's cereal a little bit when I made the case <laughs> that the Bar is significantly better than the club. And oh yeah. Because it, my whole argument was, it's like, well, you know, if you're asking why is the club not higher on the pecking order, and this was 
an argument just that was made at the end of 2017, the frame of reference. I was like, you know, the bar is just better, and they basically, you know, kind of are the same team. Mm-hmm. So that, that was like, but the bar is great. The Usos are great. Yeah, they just, you know, the Usos were totally sacrificed um, in that feud. And the Bludgeon Brothers and are much colder than they were six months ago. Yeah, no, I agree on Brian Miz, though. That's, uh, you know, they've been building this match for two years, and the WWE video department's going to have to do a hell of a job bringing back some of that stuff because it's been and they so probably long ago will. now. And they I'm sure they will. will. I'm sure they will because they're always great at that. Yeah. But, yeah, no, the feud now finally being, you know, kick-started, I guess it would have started with that Miz TV segment with Team Hell No when, when Miz started, like, kind of running down Brian. Is that is that when this feud officially kicked off? Well, they kind of they, they, they kind of kept it in the, yeah, when they did the gauntlet where Miz pinned Brian, which is yeah. like, again a great little touch where it's like okay, so that's that's yeah, he gets to say that he's beaten him. But again, to be quite honest, that's one of those things where even though on paper it sounds like a good idea, I didn't like them being I didn't like them doing that. Even though in theory it gives them something that the Miz can say, it really isn't all that important to what Miz is saying right now. So why did they do it? They, they just kind of, they, they, I don't, I'm a big fan of when you've got two guys who you're going to build a match towards, you don't let them touch each other for a long time. You don't let them touch before if you can help it until the feud really gets rolling. Because, again, it's that creates that desire to see him clash. And I think by doing this kind of slow moving into it that they've done with Brian and Miz, where they've kind of you know, interjected the Bludgeon Brothers and all that stuff, I, I don't think that's helped. I don't think that that's you know, created more tension for these two getting together i think it's dampened it because they've seen in slow this kind of slow drip feed of miz and brian when it's not building towards anything and it really doesn't matter what's happening and i don't think that helps yeah well the problem is is that nothing they've done between mania and now has been that good no you know it'd be one thing if like both of them were winning and they were on these divergent paths right into each other right yeah. If you found intriguing things, but they really haven't. I mean, Miz is like really not done anything. I mean, he was, you know, doing he job to he, he lost to Rusev. He lost to Jeff Hardy on TV. And it's fine. I mean, guys do jobs. But like, I just feel that he was a lot hotter, you know, post man. And he lost to Seth Rollins. I mean, Miz has just done, been doing a lot of jobbing, quite frankly, yeah. since since Mania. So, um you know that that's the fact that Miz didn't interfere at Extreme Rules. I think is very odd, and the reason for it is he was, you know, he was part of MLB's All Star Weekend, which is a big opportunity. But at the same time, it's like, man, um, you know, Miz costing Brian something tangible, like a match. I think would have been a much better way to kind of officially kick off the feud as opposed to just kind of that out-of-nowhere promo he did on Tuesday. Out-of-nowhere might be a threat, might be too harsh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. all of a sudden, it's like Miz is like, all right, now I'm ready to talk to Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I wonder how long they knew Miz was going to be in that softball game. Because I got to assume maybe at one point that was the plan on how they were going to lose the title match at Extreme Rules. Because that logically would make the most sense. Like you said, that he's cost them something tangible like the tag team championships, but... You can't, yeah, you can't fault uh, Miz for taking up on that opportunity. Hell, he won MVP of the softball game, as he told yes. us about on, on Tuesday night. So, remember that great softball game that they included on the Coliseum home video before SummerSlam '94? I was just, oh yes. god, because the WWE <laughs> season never ends. Yes, <laughs> during Kevin the baseball Nash. strike. <laughs> Nash wearing the fanny pack, playing the hot, playing first base. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> Savage I might, I might have to go thing. back and watch that now. <laughs> yeah, I love how Savage you had heard, like, you know, those who, like, follow that stuff back at the time knew Savage, um, you know, had the baseball background. I know I did. And it was great watching that, and he, like, just jacks one out of the park. It, like, <laughs> yeah. confirms, like, these stories. You're like, oh, God, Randy Savage played minor league baseball. Yeah. And then, like, they show Savage comes to the plate, and he just cranks one over the fence. You're like, that is sweet. Yes. <laughs> I think actually that was the that was the show. Obviously, he didn't wrestle on that show, but that was the kind of the the jump start for me when I realized that Randy Savage's right hand punch was thrown like a fastball. He kicks the left leg out first and does the uh, the right overhand. It's like holy crap! Very baseball centric offense here from Randy Savage. <laughs> very true, and that, I never I've never, never thought of that wow. either. But holy yeah. crap! <laughs> Look out for it next time. I can see it in my head right now, and that that is exactly dead on. I would have not. I never ever put that together before. Nice. I like it. Good take. Um, <laughs> another thing that maybe we did see coming, or at least we talked about it on this program, was a NXT championship movement before NXT TakeOver. So at the NXT tapings last night, I guess tune out if you don't want the spoilers, we did have Tommaso Ciampa win the NXT title from Aleister Black, who we've, we've been talking about being kind of a transitional champion maybe at this stage, that his championship run just hasn't been as good as maybe we had hoped for or expected. And so this does get us another edition of Ciampa Gargano, uh, this time a triple threat at TakeOver Brooklyn 4 with Aleister Black also involved. And so they did find a way to keep the Ciampa Gargano feud going and, and ramp it up a bit by making this a championship bout. Kyle, how uh, how excited slash um, surprised were you to see Ciampa walk out of the tapings, the champion, last night? Surprised none. Yeah. Uh, not at all. I, I, there was a straw. When they announced that match um, as taking place, at full sale and not Brooklyn, I think there was a lot of people who were like, okay, they're going to probably change the title. And quite frankly, uh, them going to a three-way at Brooklyn didn't surprise me either because what were you going to do with Gargano otherwise? It was then, you know, Gargano either makes it a triple threat or he's left off the card entirely. Um, so, you know, I can't help but think, though, I brought this up before with, you know, is fired up as I was in the Smoothie King Center in New Orleans at the end of that takeover. One of the greatest shows I've ever been to live. Maybe the greatest. You're just rubbing this in because I wasn't no, at the show. No, and I'm not. I was not, across town at ROH, which went no, like freaking six hours long. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not rubbing <laughs> Gargano Chump has been a great feud, but I can't help but think, based on how that match ended in New Orleans... If it would have been better just being left at that, and if they would have, if the brand itself would have been better keeping the title on Olmus, because certain, as Liam pointed out so astutely, hadn't done much on SmackDown since he'd been brought up. Now I know plans change, and they, I guess if you listen to some people, they did have him tabbed to be the U.S. champion, but that didn't happen. Um, but if they had just kept Olmus down there as the champ, you know, Black could have gone up to the main roster and had Gargano just chase Almas uh, for the title and get that win because that was a red-hot program. And they did kind of put a bow on it on the house shows here in Cleveland. I know with the mixed tags, they had Gargano and Candice LeRae uh, beating Selena Vega and all around the horn. But I wonder if that would have kind of been better. 
Mm, yeah, I could see it. Do we think, by the way, I was just thinking about this as you're going through Alistair Black going up the main roster. Is Alistair Black a character that works better on the main roster than NXT? Kind of like Elias, for example. I don't think so. I really don't. I, I, I fear for him on the main roster, to be quite honest. I think that a lot of the, a lot of the shortcomings that have been exposed by him as the champion are going to become multiplied tenfold on the roster. Because with Alistair Black, to me... The charm with him in the early the early days was that they didn't treat him like everybody else necessarily. He didn't really talk all that much. And I think that the more they've kind of integrated him into the usual pattern of how they book with him as the champion, which is which is I mean, which is what they do. They don't really they don't they're not flexible for for, for guys. They they make everyone fit into the same one mold. I I think that he's going to become another guy that just hangs around the middle. I think that he's going to be Finn Balor but less popular. Finn Balor is a good comparison because when I when I say that I'm thinking kind of about his entrance, you know, like so much emphasis on the main yeah, roster, there's, especially there's is, a- is on the entrances, and he has a cool entrance. But Balor has a cool entrance too, but he hasn't really, you know, like the demon entrance. But that hasn't really been taken advantage of on the main roster too much, well, Kyle. And guys have to do something beyond the end. You can't just yeah. rely on an entrance. I mean, we've seen. I mean, how many guys had these cool entrances in NXT, and they're like. You know, and that's what they rely on on the main roster. It's like, okay, cool entrance. Um, now just do whatever. You know, we Nakamura, yeah. Balor, uh, Bobby Roode has been like. Now, Bobby Roode, to be fair, isn't that great? Like he was another guy who I was warning friends elsewhere. They were like, this guy is ready made for the main roster. Dominic, I'm like, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, he has to be a heel eventually like yeah yeah makes no yeah. sense as a face yeah yeah, yeah them bringing them bringing him up and turning like because he was never a baby face nxt him just coming up to the main roster as a face for no reason and like was odd but you know and alistair black you're right he could be reduced to just another great entrance um because they don't play to the individual strengths um what liam said is absolutely accurate it wasn't just the not talking it was when it first started happening, you could see this. People didn't like when he started to have to sell. You know, it was a thing where he got real over because he wasn't selling for anybody. You know, and, and to be fair, I mean, any a lot of guys can get over that way. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I remember 20 years ago having a conversation with a, a friend of our mutual friend of ours, Liam, Rick Morris, about, you know, Taz. Oh, why don't they oh, do yeah. Taz? Why don't they just do the ECW Taz in here? It's like, what do you want him to like fucking suplex the Undertaker? Really? <laughs> like, like I could come up with ten guys who could, could like would get over if they could just no sell the Undertaker. You know, and I mean that's a ridiculous yeah. example. But like, you know, it's like, well, why does Taz be is the guy who just no sells everything because you liked it in ECW and yeah. NXT? It's the same way. You know, they Triple H to his credit plays to the individual strengths. On that brand. That doesn't happen on the main roster, which is why I always guard against people saying, get this guy to the main roster pronto. That hasn't yeah. really always been the best. And, and, and you know, Alistair, you know, uh, maybe a protected version of Alistair could be uh, you know, a, a key player. But I just see him like I've always seen Ballard. I know that, you know, Justin's not on the show. So this will kind of help because uh, he's not here to kind of argue it. But to me, both of them are guys that, that they're top of the middle or bottom of the top. I, I don't see them, you yes. know, WWE taking that. You know, there's a difference between guys who are great in that position and the guys who are great on top. And, and there is there is a transition. And I think, you know, the, the momentum with Alistair, I think, changed as soon as he got there. Yeah. I think with Balor, like when I was going through the SummerSlam card, him and Ziggler would be a great IC title match. But 
I also noticed in that uh, triple threat on Monday, I mean, the crowd, like we've talked about on the show, he's lost a lot of steam. Maybe Justin doesn't agree or he's just gritting his teeth as we talk about it. But he, man, he was, when he was close to winning that match, that, that crowd was exploding. Like he still has a huge fan base out there for sure. Oh, okay. So, so the Justins or whoever, <laughs> how you doing, Justin? Um, I was finest, uh, that, uh, you know, this may not be considered like the greatest compliment if you're a big fan of Finn Balor, but it should, in my opinion, we talk about top, top of the bottom, bottom of the top. Finn Balor would be a great babyface intercontinental champion. Oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes. He would. Yes. It'd be, yeah, like, to me, absolutely. that's his role. Yeah. Like that's like, like that's not a slight, like, I don't think you can build the raw brand around him. Um, we haven't seen him as a heel. Um, I'm pretty, you know, and people are like, well, he was the universal champion. It's like, man, there were some extenuating circumstances there. Reigns was still being punished for the suspension. They fought Rollins at, when he came back and didn't want him to be a babyface, then did anyway. Um, and, you know, it's totally changed Rollins' career for the better. But, you know, Balor kind of came up at this great time for him to come up when it's like, all right, we just got to try something new. And he was the flavor of the month that month. No, you it, know, if yeah. Balor, if Finn Balor came up literally any other month in WWE history, he would not be a former universal champion. No, absolutely. No. And I think that's, it's, it is a great spot for him because they've really successfully kind of made that into the workhorse title again. And Balor's a great worker between the ropes and i think he could thrive in that role i'd love to see him win the intercontinental title at SummerSlam. i think him and ziggler would have a great match so i mean and he was in the mix at mania the only issue he was is seth rollins was just simply a better option yeah you know the the role that finn would be playing as the babyface intercontinental champion was just better played by seth rollins yeah no i think rollins needs to be moved into that universal title picture like soon before you know they haven't really capitalized on all the steam he's had this year uh but then balor makes sense to kind of replace him in the IC division i think yeah yeah and just kind of circle this all the way back to black i mean to me that yeah and and the three-way we're looking at for the nxt title i always think that's kind of the exposure point of these guys like balor and black where you know, as good as they are, there is always a better option because there is always somebody that's that little bit more complete than they are, whether it's charisma, whether it's promos, whatever it is, whether it's personality, however you want to phrase it. I know that you're a big fan of Grin Balor and his, his smiling diesel. <laughs> smiling Finn. Smiling Finn. Smiling Finn. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, there's always going to be a better option than the, than the guy who doesn't really feel like they are the whole package. And to me, Gargano, for a long time, you could see it coming. He was a better option. So here's, I'm glad you brought that because now we can focus back on NXT, which I think was the bullet point we were supposed to be on. Um, <laughs> last night, if you read the spoilers, and I always follow JJ Williams just to give it, you know, he's, he's a guy, Jacob Cohen. They, they, they're always there at full sale. And they do a good job putting the spoilers on Twitter. Both of them noted that when Black laid out Gargano with the Black Mass after the triple threat was announced, there were chance of you deserve it at Gargano. Really? Yes, which is very interesting because it's and it doesn't. It, the Gargano again. If you don't want to be spoiled, well, I guess it's too late. But you know, Gargano played a role in the finish in Champa beating Black, and so maybe it was a little bit of that. But it's very interesting 
the way they've set this up, this triple threat with the two babyface challengers, we're really going to learn, I guess, who the NXT audience prefers in that top babyface role. Which, I don't, yeah, I, I, which to me would be a gamble I wouldn't take, especially because you've got Gargano coming off doing, you know, what was, even though it was a hell of a match, that the, the mega job in terms of just, you know, he's beating the hell out of champion and the champion just beats him. And that's kind of not very, you know, when he's handcuffed, that's not a very sympathetic yeah. way to lose, yeah. really. So, you know, you, you go from that to costing the other baby face who people still like, even though I don't think they like him as much as Gargano. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think that when it comes time for the, for the show in Brooklyn, I do think they'll side with Gargano. But yeah, the way that they put it together on TV where he ends up costing the other baby face and he's coming off the position of not being all that sympathetic himself... Yeah, not not the best way to do it, I don't think. But say, you know, they'll, they'll get there and we'll see how it plays out in Brooklyn. Yeah, And this goes back to what I said post-Mania when I was sitting there. Gar- if, if it's me, and it's not, and it probably shouldn't be, okay, but if it's me, Gargano was the baby face you build NXT around. He's yeah. your top baby face. Certainly coming that night in the Smoothie King Center, there was no doubt about it in my mind. But I, you know, I'm walking home with my buddy Chad. I'm like, you know, it's odd. They they have they come off this incredible show. Gargano's clearly this incredible baby face you should build around, but they've got a baby face champion now who you just crowned. And it goes back to that talking point that I thought that was very odd. And I know I wasn't the only one who raised that. That it seemed like a no-brainer that Gargano was the baby face you build around, but you also just crowned a separate baby face as your new NXT champion. And I think I'm very interested to see how that plays out now that that chicken has kind of come home to roost where you've got the two of them and the audience is, you know, are they going to explicitly side with one of them in this match? Yeah, I think that there's a whole another argument, not argument, but a discussion we can have on this that we could spin out. It probably could be its own show is mm-hmm. how hard it is to remain a top baby face in pro wrestling today before the fans turn on you. I don't think they're going to completely turn on Johnny Gargano, but to stay popular before some of the fans revolt, whether it's like kind of the smarky thing to do, you know, that it, it points to like how special a reaction like that Daniel Bryan gets is where he's pretty yes. much uni- universally loved. Like it's so hard in wrestling to yes. keep that going for years and years anymore. And they'll, they'll turn on almost everybody. So I don't <laughs> think they're turning completely on Gargano, but that is interesting because he has been like this top baby face where they would chant, you deserve it after the match, even with how that match ended. Yeah. And um, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, e- even you're right with Brian, what a mark in his favor. Because, yeah, okay, maybe sometimes it's not as hot as it could, should be. But Daniel Bryan's always cheer every single time he comes out. Yeah. And that's very hard to do in 2018 wrestling. Yeah. And again, though, I think, you know, as much as, as a mark in his favor as it is, and it is, it does still hop back to that point. It's that the theme of the podcast and maybe the theme of wrestling currently is – Man, they don't do a great job. I mean, especially because like I'm looking at these like 98 Raws and 99 Raws a lot with Steve Austin currently, and obviously it's not you know you can't always relate things back to then. But you look at how much they protect the top guy in Austin then, where any time he lost, there was always a built-in reason, and he always got his heat back pretty much immediately. And it's like now we're in this environment where they'll have Gargano get pinned, even though he's got the guy handcuffed. You know, we'll have Roman Reigns. You know, lose a universal title match to Kevin Owens at the Royal Rumble, then get number 30 the same day, and then get eliminated as well. You know, like, can you imagine if they did that to a guy like Austin, like a real top oh. guy they protect as a top, <laughs> top guy? They don't protect anyone like a top, top guy. <laughs> what a comment. You're right. 
if you don't like Roman Reigns, go back and hit re- the, the ten, little 10-second 10 button and listen to what Liam just said. Because how la- could you imagine them doing that to Steve Austin? No, they would never do it in a million years, ever. They would not do it. They wouldn't even conceive it. Austin would just laugh at him. Because it's, it's you, there is a way you protect the top guy, and this company doesn't do it for some reason. I don't know why, but they 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 like to have guys lose more than they should. And I think that you know again, the the reason Strowman got over the way he did, it wasn't because he was so awesome. He's got all these things as a babyface that the other guys don't have. It's that he was protected. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of top guys. Kyle's perhaps Kyle's most most favorite top guy in professional wrestling history made his return to the WWE locker room this week. Oh no! <laughs> Hollywood well, shit, Hulk Hogan on, is back. On, I, I, let's just put a bow on the NXT thing because the takeover card is set. Yeah, the entire card yes. is set. Just again, if you don't want to be spoiled, turn it off. But it's it's you know Shayna Baszler and Kyrie Sane was already set at the last round of tapings for mm-hmm. the women's title. It's going to be Adam Cole against Ricochet for the North American title. EC3 versus Velveteen Dream in your token non-title mat, grudge match of the TakeOver card. And then Undisputed Era against Mustache Mountain for the tag titles in a rubber match. So there, there's your card. It's all set. Should be good. Five-match show. Ricochet and Cole should have a really so good match. Um, EC3, Velveteen. Man, Velveteen Dream. This guy, to me, is like the highlight of NXT right now. Looking this will be a real test, though. EC3 is going to be a real test. For yeah, a little bit different style I'm not for so him. high on EC3. No, no. It, he's not going to be able to work like he did uh, with Ricochet. So, no. Have to, he'll have to tone it down a little bit. But uh, we'll see. Uh, so, this, uh, this, this Hulk Hogan deal. This happened uh, at Extreme Rules. This was so bizarre, the way this happened. So, Kyle, reportedly Hogan flew into Cleveland and then drove to Pittsburgh. Because all these people saw Hogan on a flight to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Why, why the hell did he not fly right to Pittsburgh? And he was flying coach. This guy is saving his money. Well, I mean, that's a that's an old carny wrestling trick. You know, you <laughs> fly a guy into a different city, a close city. And the idea is, oh, he's just flying into Cleveland. Well, today's audience picked up on it immediately. They're like, yeah. oh, Cleveland's not that far from Pittsburgh. And it isn't. Two-hour so, drive about. Yeah, something like that. Depends, you know, how quick you speed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, people picked up on it. It happened. Um, so I, I was not shocked when the WWE's official Twitter feed announced Hulk Hogan is backstage. Yeah. So he gives this apology to the WWE locker room. And uh, a lot of people took issue with the apology uh, because for many, I guess, from the reports that I've been reading, they felt like, Hogan was more remorseful that he was filmed like without his knowledge. And he made a big point to tell the locker room, you know, like, be careful what you say because you never know who's going to be recording you. Because he had made these racist comments on a sex tape that was recorded without his knowledge over a decade ago. So we've had people making comments. The New Day came out with a comment. Uh, Titus O'Neil. Very well written. Yeah, the New Day one is probably the best. Titus O'Neil kind of very well up written what the too. New Day said. Yep. And Booker T was kind of on the opposite side of the fence, where he kind of was more welcoming, I guess, to, to Hogan coming back to uh, to the WWE. Now, we didn't think Hogan would be ostracized forever. He is unquestionably one of the biggest names in wrestling history. He's, he's going to be brought back. You could see, speaking of Velveteen Dream, 
you know, at the last takeover, he came out dressed as Hulk Hogan with with the boas and everything. So we kind of we even talked about it on that post show that night that uh, or after Money at the Bank that we said if this is kind of more evidence WWE is warming up to Hogan again that he was allowed to do that. And the reports have been out there for months that Hogan might be coming back, and lo and behold, here he is. So we're going to throw it to each other here on, on how we feel about this. Um, what do you think about the reports about his apology? Because obviously we weren't there, but it's been pretty widely reported on, on how that went and you know how sincere it was and what he said. Uh, I know Kyle has some thoughts on this. He definitely wanted to talk about it. What do you think, Kyle? Um. I think I need to preface a few things. Uh, number one, I am not a huge Hulk Hogan fan. I never have been. Uh, not only has Hulk Hogan, not only was he like not my favorite wrestler growing up, there have been times when he was very close to being my least favorite wrestler growing up. Um, you know, that's I'm not going to deny the man's accomplishments. He is, you know, one or two, the first or second most important person in the history of the company. I mean, with Steve Austin, um, it doesn't. You know, whatever, whatever you think, it, it doesn't matter. He's one or two. OK, he's no lower than the second most important person in the company history. So, yes, he belongs in that sense. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, I wanted to preface by saying he was never one of my favorites because emotionally him being back in the W means very little to nothing to me, quite frankly. Um, it's not, you know, there were people who were very happy about it, and I suspect they were people, you know, who grew up with Hulk rules posters on their walls. Um, that said, you know, I value the opinion of people like, uh, of, or I should say, I value people who are in the company, um, and certainly the New Day and Titus O'Neil for obvious reasons, a lot more uh, than you know some guy you know who jerked off to a Hulk rules poster when he was nine years old. Okay, like I just that sounds like, like a personal story. Okay, no, I, I mean, it's fine. If you're happy Hulk's back, that's great, okay? It's your own personal call. But at the same time, I'm far more interested to hear what, you know, guys like Kofi Kingston, guys like Tony O'Neill have to say. Uh, because it's very interesting to me that they were not made privy of this beforehand. They didn't have to be. But if I was there, I probably would have gone to them first. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have gone to not just them too specifically, the entire, you know, African-American workforce in WWE and been like, we're thinking of doing this. Your thoughts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, that sounds kind of grandiose and silly, but, you know, and I think it's key what you said and the umbrage that was kind of taken with what Hogan said that that was expressed, uh, particularly in Titus O'Neill's response that Hogan seemed more apologetic that he was caught than for what he actually said. And that's a common thing. Look, I believe in second chances, okay? Um, I, and I don't think Hogan should be shunned forever. But he does need to be apologetic for what was said, not just because he got caught. That's That goes for anyone, like, when it comes to second chances, right? I mean, it's not the first... Yeah. Like, that's, a, that's kind of a key phrase when it comes for mea culpas, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, are you sorry you got caught? Or are you sorry for what you did? And people who express remorse for what they did typically can be forgiven. Obviously, there are some, you know, things which can never be forgiven. But, you know, and, and this was bad. What Hogan said was really, really bad. And if 
you know, prominent African-American members of the roster don't think he was sincere, then that is an issue. And that should be respected. I mean, some of the comments that were made and directed to Titus O'Neil in Kofi's post were disgraceful, in my opinion. Absolutely disgraceful from fans. You know, I saw somebody, New Day, the real racist. Shut up. Oh, God. I, I try to <laughs> never read the responses to tweets because Shut of this. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm going to say something else, too. And, and I feel bad, actually, for, for saying this uh, because, you know, I, I know Glenn Moore who does the podcast with Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler lampooning the day, like the PC culture right now is like the biggest crock of shit. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, you know, oh, if it wasn't this PC culture, you know, Hulk never would have been left. And I'll stop. Okay. If Hulk Hogan wasn't, wasn't an idiot and an ass. You would have never left the hall of fame. Okay. And a racist. Don't forget yes, that part. And a racist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And most importantly, a complete racist. Yes. So, um, yeah, so I, I I completely value, you know, what I think, you know, I, yeah, Hogan, it was really racist what he said. It was not, it, it was really like, hello, in a related story, the sun will come up tomorrow morning. Okay. <laughs> um, that said, if the, you know, if the WWE wants to bring him back, it's the company's prerogative, but at the same time, they better make sure that their prominent African-American employees are comfortable with it. And if they're not, then it is a problem. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting how the original reports were WWE filmed this apology, and then after it started getting criticized, then the word changed to, no, we did not film this. Like, Maybe it was just an irony because Hogan was complaining about being recorded. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes, burn the tapes, burn the tapes. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, I mean, doesn't it feel to you like when I kind of and again, first of all, kudos to Titus because as well written and as uh, kind of perfectly straight to the point as Kofi's post was, Titus's was a little bit more head on and and he didn't really back away from it. So I was very impressed by that. But uh, you know, I think that to me, this whole thing is just like, doesn't it feel like a misread the way that they've played this in the sense of they thought that time would heal this. And in reality, they may as well have just brought him in to do this speech the week after it happened. Because the reaction is the same today as it would have been three years ago, which is, if he's just going to say that, then that doesn't tackle the issue. And that feeling's still going to be there. And I don't think it's going to go away, to be quite honest, because, you know, Hogan, publicly speaking, I mean, we've seen, you know, the, oh, I grew up in a racist neighborhood. I just, I'm just used to throwing these words around. Like... (laughs) This, 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 these aren't the words of somebody who's, who's sorry about what he did. The whole thing about, you know, going to the Boys and Girls Club and throwing on his Wu-Tang Clan CD to get some points, that's, you know, that's, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't actually resolve the problem. It's that the problem is you, you fucked up, you came off like a complete racist and a douchebag, and you can either a- approach it completely head on and, and act as if you're honest and, and deal with it, the point, or you can do what you've done, which is you try and buy some time, you try and get some PR brownie points, and you try and kind of slowly ease your way in and do what you've always done, which is deny when you're at fault. And that's 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 what this is. And I think, thankfully, we're at a point now where everyone can kind of see through it. Yeah, and, and <laughs> talking about him and how, how he grew up and everything. Yeah, all these people that grew up around Hogan were like, I don't know what he's talking about. Nobody in our neighborhood used that language to talk about people. But yeah, he's... Hulk is the ultimate carny. Like, yes. Kind of oh, play yeah. off what Liam just said. He's been the ultimate carny. He very much, you know, he, he's a guy who he, he's he he's a wrestler that is still operating under an old wrestling culture. 
Well, don't you know, according to that Andre doc, he walked into the ring at WrestleMania three and didn't know if he was winning or not. Like I said, yeah, what did I bring that up? At the same time, you know, him and yeah, him and Bischoff are two lovebirds, man. Couple yeah. cards, you know. Of course they're friends. Yeah. I I mean I also obviously don't think that Hogan should be banished forever. He has his place in WWE. He should he should have that second chance or third chance or whatever you want to call it. But I do have a problem with a guy who obviously doesn't feel remorse and According to these reports and what he said, he clearly doesn't feel remorse. I mean, this this kind of takes me back to the situation we all had growing up where you're apologizing for something to your parents and they're like, well, are you actually sorry or are you sorry because you got caught? And he's clearly, from what he said, sorry because he got caught. And so I think he has a lot of work to do at the locker room to to get that respect back for sure. Yeah, lecturing people on, you know, make sure you're not being recorded yeah, that should have never been mentioned at all. That no, should not have came It's up. like, how about, you know, taking time to learn about other cultures and, you know, being respectful of them yeah. and not being racist towards them. So as you guys all know, I said some really terrible racist things on a video a while back. So let me tell you about this guy who filmed it. <laughs> Come on. That's just ridiculous. Bubba the love sponge, man. There's a whole other topic. And I don't like, I'll be honest with you too, and aside, I don't like that bullshit that Hogan did to Gawker either. I mean, oh, Gawker man. was kind of foolish in its own right, but there's an excellent documentary out there um, kind of talking about the attack on the, you know, while we're talking about attacks on the press and things of that nature, you know, how the whole Hogan lawsuit was bankrolled by Peter Thiel. Um, I can't even think of the name of the documentary. Yeah, it's on uh, Netflix. It's like a Netflix yeah. exclusive. Yeah, David Bixenspan of, Be- of Between the Sheets was was on it. He was interviewed. And uh, it was really good. And um, it's, you know, I-, I didn't really like that lawsuit either. So that's another mark against Hogan. Yeah. No, that's what I thought many. it was kind of funny that he was riding coach on the on the airline to Cleveland because he supposedly got like uh, thirty one million dollars or something like that from that lawsuit uh, in the settlement. Well, so. he had a lot to be, he had to pay Peter Thiel back. <laughs> I think the documentary is called Nobody Speak. I was yes. googling it right now. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the one. I was, I was racking my brain trying to think. It's cool. yeah, yeah. Nobody Speak. Yeah, it's good. It's worth checking out. So. I think that about wraps it up, guys, for this week. Any other topics we want to throw out before we head off into the sunset? Uh, I have a question for Liam. Okay. Shoot, man. What caused England more pain? Was it Croatia or Shawn Michaels at one night only? Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, I was in the crowd live at one night only, which I can I – so I can – How I can do verify. I not know that? I didn't I can, know that. Oh, yeah, man, I can verify. I was the only person in that building cheering for Shawn Michaels. Oh, my oh. God. <laughs> that was one of the wasn't greatest. Your fig- it wasn't your action figure that went down his pants, was it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was not, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, man. We were talking about that on our phones a few weeks ago. Uh, Kyle, you brought that up out of nowhere that you're watching that match. You're like, you guys must put this on right now. This is like the greatest heel work of all time. So we're all either watching. That un- either that or the most unprofessional behavior <laughs> I've ever seen in the history of pro wrestling. It's yeah, one or the you other. You were like live texting. You're like, my God, he just put an action figure down his pants. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's a prick, but he's so good yeah. at being a prick. He's just, honestly, okay. So off the air, when that show was finished, you got Sean on one side of the stage climbing up one side of the video wall. You got Hunter climbing up the other side of the video wall. And you've got the fans just throwing bottles at them to try and knock them off because they were so pissed. It was 
beautiful. Oh man, I would love to see that. <laughs> oh man, there's got to be a tape of it somewhere. It was yeah. fantastic. Oh, that's yeah, it kind of just go. It, I think the the pay per view proper just goes off with them posing. You could see yeah, that they they, just... they were relishing in the heat they were getting, but yeah, they they don't show them crawling up when the when the pay per view goes off the air. Yeah. No, they 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 film everything. That's got to be in the archives. Maybe that can be a bonus on something. They, oh, something. they had a lot of problems. They got a couple house shows shut down in that era. Uh, DX with all the stuff that the heat. Oh yeah, like, Sean refused to go like out. Arkans- like yeah, like an Arkansas, Arkansas and stuff. Yeah. Yep. So, Liam, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you've been watching a lot of 1998 WWF television, and we know that's for your podcast. So, do you want to give our listeners a shout out to where they can where they can catch uh, Squared Circle Gazette? Yeah, sure. So squaredcirclegazette.com, funnily enough, is probably the best place to go to kind of get the archives of every show we've ever done. Uh, so we've got all kinds of wacky shows on there. We've got like the, the Monday Night War timeline we've been doing where we've uh, been kind of going through month by month the uh, the, the Raws and the Nitros head to head and kind of looking at the, the stories and the, uh, the newsletters at the time and kind of breaking down the way things went, which is kind of interesting when you look back at that stuff, because that's kind of the lens that, you know, I didn't look through watching it live at the time. So when you kind of look back with kind of a bit more perspective about what was really going on, it's a, it's a really interesting take. Uh, and yeah, like all, all sorts of random topics and stuff. So a lot of fun. Squared Circle Gazette Radio uh, is the show and SquaredCircleGazette.com is the place to get it. Excellent. Well, I want to definitely thank you for coming back on the show. It was fun last time. It's great having you on again. Uh, we appreciate you addressing what's been going on in the media about your book. Uh, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? Uh, at LeamaRock86 is the place to go. And, uh, yeah, follow me there. And, uh, of course, as you mentioned before, the Brian Pillman book, Amazon.com, Amazon.co.uk, Amazon.jp, Amazon.nz, Amazon.ca, Amazon.whatever. There you go. Kyle, parting words this week. Yes. So last week on the post show, I mentioned that Seth and Dolph was the third time a intercontinental title match proper had closed a WWF pay-per-view. And we all knew Brett Davey was the one at SummerSlam 92 in Wembley. But the three, there were four of us. None of us could come up with what the third one was. Now, there were instances of like Hogan versus Warrior where the, the IC was technically on the line. But a straight intercontinental title match had closed a WWE pay-per-view three times. It bothered me, so I did. I uh, looked into it, and the answer is very cheap. It was in your house. Beware of dog two, Goldust Undertaker, where they just did a redo <laughs> of the matches that um, that you know took place in the dark two nights previous in South Carolina. So that that was not the actual scheduled main event of that pay-per-view with Sean Davey, uh, obviously the in your house, beware of dog. So that one really technically does not count, but that was the third instance of an intercontinental title match. Closing a pay-per-view it was gold dust versus the undertaker in a casket match. So like kind of sort of main evented. Yeah. So really it's only been two yeah. Seth and Dolph and Brett and Davey. Okay. All right. Well, I did want to say, Liam mentioned Amazon. We do, we do have a new way you can support the show. You've probably heard about this on other podcasts, but I want to throw it out there. If you decide to pick up Liam's book, before you do so, navigate to topropenation.com. There's a link there. There's a shopping link. You can go to Amazon US. You can go to Amazon UK. I got links up for both of them. It's just like a referral program through Amazon. So if we send shoppers to Amazon through our link, they'll kick back a couple of dollars of referral fee to Top Rope Nation. It will help us upgrade our audio, help us pay our hosting costs. If you guys tuned into the show a couple weeks ago, we did a live podcast. And uh, 
we had some technical issues because we could not get all three of our microphones to work at the same time. So if we ever do that again, I definitely need to invest in a mixer. So if you want to donate to the cause, you know, you go through Amazon, you go to that link. You're going to pay the same thing you would have paid if you just navigated to Amazon your own, but the podcast will benefit. So you can check that out at TopRopeNation.com. We would greatly appreciate it. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, tune in Spotify, leave us a rating and subscribe. And we will catch you guys next Thursday night for episode 67 of the Top Rope Nation podcast. Have a good weekend. Take care. Peace. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.